Well, Merry Christmas. I, uh, I'm always excited about Christmas. Christmas is my, it's my favorite. I, I mean, I love Easter too. And when it's Easter time, I always say it's my favorite. But I really love Christmas. The, um, we uh, are kind of getting ready at the house and doing all the, we've done, done all, Carol's already got all of her shopping done. There's only one present that hasn't been purchased yet, and that's the one for Carol. <laughs> so, any suggestions, let me know, okay? We were talking in the back with uh, some of the worship team when the guy said, I, all he has to do is buy gift cards for his wife. That's what she wants, gift cards. And, uh, and my wife doesn't want gift cards. That just means you just didn't put any effort or energy into it in her mind. And so I have to go to the store. What I do is I go to the store that she likes to shop at, and I buy things because I know she's going to take them back. But she can at least get something she wants when she gets, gets out. So there's a strategy to it all. <laughs> Why are you laughing so hard over here? <laughs> no. Well, let's get to some serious business here. God has created you for his purpose. That is a, a clear message from where we're headed this morning, that God created you. The, the, the Christmas story has so much, and every year we do the Christmas story, or every year, you know, we do the Easter story, and it's always kind of the same story, if you haven't noticed. It's the same story. We share that, we, we teach that same thing. I've been doing it for, well, well over 40 years, and, and every year, you know, there's pretty much the same, pretty much story, but there is one uh, person in the Christmas story that seems to get left out a lot, and I want to talk about his story today, and, and that is John the Baptist. John the Baptist shows up in the story. In fact, in all the Gospels, he is actually mentioned, he, he's brought up right at the beginning, before we talk about the birth of Christ and so forth, John the Baptist is, is brought up, and in the place we're going to be this morning, in the in the Gospel of Luke, we have the story of, you know, of Christ, the nativity. We have the story of Mary getting the message. But right at the beginning, he starts off with actually John the Baptist. And for those who are kind of new um, to the Bible, um, John the Baptist is not the same as the writer or the, or the apostle John. He's different. He is, in fact, a heralder as the scripture says, he's a pronouncer of the coming Messiah. He's called the Baptist because he baptized a lot of people, which is a really interesting thing that he did. He baptized with the baptism of repentance. And we'll, we'll look into that just uh, in a few minutes, just uh, briefly, which is different than the baptism when we baptize somebody in Christ. In fact, we had baptism for service and the baptism of John is a baptism of repentance 
The baptism that we do as, as followers of Jesus is the baptism of identification. And there is a difference. We are, when we're baptized in water, we're baptized in identifying that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. So we go down in the water as if we had died and rose again. But it's not just a, a death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. It's actually, it's a death, burial, and resurrection of us. Because as we go down in the water, we're identifying because we've been united with Jesus that we died with Christ and we raised to new life. That's the, the whole core of salvation is, is, to, is mixed up, is, or is uh, being shared in water baptism. It doesn't save you, but it is definitely uh, what a believer does. When a person gets saved, their faith is, is strong enough to follow in water baptism. If you are a believer and your faith is not strong enough to follow in water baptism, then you might not have saving faith. And that's why the Bible says, check and see, make sure you're in the faith. It doesn't save you, but it should be the very first act that a believer does. And that's what we find in Scripture all the time when they got saved. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost gospel was preached, they, they received Christ, they went down and all got baptized. They did it right there immediately. We do it once a month, um, but if you know, if you can't wait until next month and you want to be baptized, we'll come to your pool and we'll dunk you. We'll do whatever. We'll take you to the ocean. We'll put you under if you can't wait till next month. But we're going to do it next month. Okay? Um, John, here's um. The story starts in Luke chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, if you want to follow along. And uh, it says, there was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, th th there's a specific time frame mentioned here and a leader at a specific place. Luke, the writer, does this more than anybody else in the Bible. He gives Dates and times of leaders in the New Testament, we see that he, he gives specifics, very specific on this. That kind of has gotten him, his story, in trouble over the years. Because there have been people who said that Luke was not accurate, yet he was very, very meticulous in his, um, in his writing and telling detailed things uh, from the writing. Well... The fact is that Luke was very accurate. And there have been critics throughout history who said that. In fact, in the 18th century, during the, you know, the, 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 um, when what they call higher criticism arrived, I call it lower criticism, in their attempt to kind of uh, despiritualize the scripture. Um, there were many historians who said Luke was not accurate. And of course, if the Bible isn't accurate on the simple things like the times and places and so forth, then how can you, how can you trust it in the other aspect, the other things that the Bible talks about? And uh, in fact, there was a very famous historian. His name was um, William Ramsey. And uh, he was well-known, uh, very accepted. He was an atheist. 
And he um, touted that something of that ancient value probably wasn't, can't be accurate, especially if it gives much detail. And he was, in fact, wrote about it. Even though he wasn't really a scholar of Scripture, he wasn't one who really studied the Scripture much, much he was one who was kind of pushing forward this narrative that the Bible is inaccurate. And so he took the challenge and, and uh, decided what he was going to do is he could take the book of Acts and Luke, both written by Luke, and because it had most of the, the, the majority of the you know, detail in, uh, in Luke's writing, and he decided to go to all those places and check it out at the source. And he spent some time and money doing that as he traveled, and he went to all the places where Luke made mention of, looked at the histor- history of it, you know, the people he said were in power at the time and all of that. What he studied was the archaeological discoveries that were really kind of being discovered in greater numbers at that particular time. And so as an atheist, he went and he started doing that. Through much of his study, all of a sudden he changed. He stopped being an atheist. He started becoming an agnostic. And he was an agnostic until he finished his full studies. And he became a Christian. And he said this. He said, he said Luke is the greatest historian in, 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 in history. He is the greatest historian. He came to the conclusion that the scriptures were absolutely correct in every detail that it was written. And we know that's true. Luke was not just correct in his detail about, about history and about, um, about geography and all of that. He was absolutely correct about the spiritual things that he talks about as well. The kingdom of God talking about Christ. All those things are absolutely. He, in fact, went to eyewitnesses, and that's how he, he got his, he put together his narrative as he, you know, lived out his walk with Christ with the Apostle Paul and, and traveled with him. So it says, Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the vision of Abijah, his wife was the of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, were born in priest homes. Their fathers were priests. Um, that's how, of course, Zechariah would only be a priest because his dad was. And Abijah, it says, was uh, of the daughters of Aaron, and all the, all the, the children of Aaron were pre- of the priesthood. Now, it says that Zacharias was of the division of Abijah. Do you, do you just kind of pass those things when you're reading the, the, the narrative? You go, you just kind of read through. He's King Judah because you don't know what it means. So you go, and he's of the division of Abijah, whatever that is, his wife. Well, I understand wife and daughters and so forth. But the division of Abijah is very interesting because what happened is in those days, all the priests... Of course, everyone wanted at least a turn to serve in the temple. Wouldn't that be amazing? Be able to go to the temple and, you know, be the one who lights the candelabra or lights the incense or, you know, does some of the, the help in the sacrifice and, and so forth, work at the temple. But there were so many priests, they, there wasn't enough jobs for them, you know, to be at the temple. 
So what they did is they divided them up into sections. There were 24 different divisions throughout the country. And many of those divisions had hundreds and hundreds of people in a division. And so what they did is each, each year, each division got two weeks um, to serve in, at the temple. That division was responsible for the temple for two weeks out of the year. But since there's so many in each division, they had to cast lots. So they kind of rolled the dice, if you would, to see who would get to serve. And it would be rare. In fact, many people never, ever in their lifetime ever got to serve in the temple because there were just too many people who would serve. But if you did, it was probably the one time in your lifetime that you would be able to do that. And that probably was the case for Zechariah. It just happened that Zechariah, the lot fell on Zechariah for Zechariah to come to the temple right at this particular time in his whole life. Because, see, when you're following Christ, there's a lot of things that just happen in time. They just kind of take place at the right time for the right purpose. And this is what's happening for Zechariah. He's at the temple. And, and the, it goes on to say that they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, this doesn't mean they were perfect. It just means that they fulfilled what God had said. They had followed the law. They followed what God had asked them to do. And they were very, very meticulous at making sure they followed after that. And it says, and they had no children. Isn't that um, interesting how so many of the women of great people in the scriptures um, are in fact those who have had no, no children. And then all of a sudden, you know, God comes on the scene. So they're unable to bear children, but God comes on the scene and a miracle happens. And you wonder why that process seems to happen over and over again. It seems also like that while the women are barren, waiting, they and or, or their husbands are praying for them to have a child. And usually, in some cases, like for instance, um, in the case of, of Hannah, in the case of Samuel, um, as, as the, her, his mother is waiting to have a child, she makes a promise to God that if she has a child, she'll give the child to the Lord. She will, she will, she will give the child to the work of God, to the work of the kingdom in her life. And maybe it's in the process that prayer goes out. And maybe it's in the process that surrender takes place. Now listen, I'm not just talking about barrenness. I'm talking about the things in our life that we are desiring, the things that we want in our life. How many of us have been waiting for God to answer a prayer in our life? And as we're waiting for that, things change. And even in our desires for that thing to happen, God changes us. Some of those things we don't even want anymore. Some of the things that we had to have, that they're not, they're not that important to us. Some of those things, though, become the kind of thing that we go you know, I, if I get this, I want to give this to God. I want God to be, be honored in all that I have. 
being stated. In fact, sometimes we make deals with God to give us things, and we say, I'll bless you. Now, it isn't always good. Sometimes we'll say, you know, Lord, if you help me win the lotto, then I will give you a large portion of that back. And I'm not sure that works very well. Um, but I'm glad that people have been promising that if they hit the lotto, they're going to give the church much, you know. I've had people say up to 50%. I'm waiting for it to just keep going up. And then I'll pray that God will help have them hit the lotto. But not really. Just kidding. So um, it says they're walking in all the commandments. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, they were in their 60s, so I think they were young. They didn't know that the, you know, 60 is the new 40. They didn't understand that, but that's where they are. And it says, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his, his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So that was his responsibility, to burn incense in the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him, as it would upon you too. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, God is actually answering the prayer. I'm sure that prayer probably happened quite a while ago. And maybe at this point, they finally kind of given up on it. Maybe forgot about it. But God doesn't forget. You know, your prayers don't have a shelf life. God, in fact, always remembers your prayer. I, uh, Carol and I have, over the years, you know, we... we um, decided that, you know, in case an earthquake or something, they always tell you have some canned goods and have some, you know, waters and so forth. So, so we have, have, have had that. We put it in the garage. And then once it's there, you just kind of forget about it. But canned goods have a life, a shelf life, you know, some, some of them more than others. And uh, I went out to the garage, and there was a puddle on the ground that looked like, um, it looked like real dark, um, j j just a dark, sticky um, kind of thing like a uh, um, beeswax or something just on, on the ground. It was dark, and uh, it was real sticky. And I looked, and it was, it was two cans of corn. Yeah, how, ba how, how, how bad is that, that corn turned to that? And, um, and it had those pull-offs, so anybody... If you're doing that, have, have a earthquake uh, cans, the ones that pull up, they're not always as sealed as you might think. And so there was a, there was a time of clearing. We've got to clear it. Food has a shelf life. Prayers do not. Sometimes some of your prayers will be, won't be answered till after you're gone. We see that many times in Scripture, the fulfillment of prayers after you're gone. I, I know of some prayers of friends of mine who have passed that were fulfilled. I mean, miracles happened. They, they prayed. I know they prayed because I prayed with them. 
and they had gone to be with Jesus. And after they had gone to be with Jesus, there were family members or people that they had been praying for that actually came to Christ. And several occasions, they, were, they actually came to Christ at their funeral. God has a way. He doesn't forget your prayers. Zechariah probably thought so, that God did. And um, because he has some problem believing. So you'll notice it says, um, he says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So he's taking the Nazarite vow for life. He's separating himself. He's saying this child is going to live for God, separated unto God, and, and he's going to live that life fully for God. And he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, if he's filled from the Spirit, he's filled in, in, with the Spirit from his mother's womb, how valuable is that unborn child? I just... I mean, how... How do we simply, you know, biblically, how, how can people say, well, you know, the unborn child is just isn't, you know, it's not really a child. It's not really alive. It's not really human. Anybody has a right that is carrying that child to kill the child that would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really glad that there wasn't, uh, that abortion wasn't legal and Mary didn't decide to take the easy way out when she was pregnant. The, 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 the fact is, it says that this is what he's going to do. Listen to what it says. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now I want you to see, notice something. He's talking about John John has not even been conceived yet. We're not talking about God saying, you know, he's called you from the womb. It's before the womb. John is, John, God sees John before he's even conceived. John is an example for us. God knew you before you were conceived. Before you were in your mother's womb. God knew you. He planned for you. He has purpose for you. God has purpose for John. He had purpose for you. He gave you gifts and abilities to serve in his kingdom for the purposes that he had for you. You might, you might fulfill it. Some people don't fulfill it. Some people do. John was one who fulfilled the purposes that God had for him. Some people never even get started because they, they, they don't, they're not willing to humble themselves enough to come to Christ. Most of us kind of fulfill some of that, maybe. Our goal should be to do everything that God's called us to do because that's when we're most fulfilled in life. That's the, mo that's, the, that's the best we have. And I can say this, I don't know where you've got started. Maybe some of you, you you're getting started late in life. It's never too late. You just get going with God has. God, will, God knows what's going on. He knew, he knew all about John, about who he would be and what would he go. You just move forward. God has, wants to bless and use you in mighty ways in your life. It says, it says, notice this about it. It says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
that that's his goal. He's going to turn him to the Lord. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now he's quoting the scripture um, that, that he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And there's a whole teaching on this. I won't go into detail. But the Bible uh, predicts that, and God tells us that in the last days, Elijah actually will show up again. He's one who never died, that he will show up again. And when he, he will show up before the great and awesome day of the Lord, the terrible day of the Lord. That's a, that, that's a judgment that is coming. And, and Elijah will come. But Jesus said it, that, he, this, uh, that John came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, John was asked directly, who are you? And, uh, you know, and, and he said, they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? He said, no. He said, are you the, are you the, the, the coming one? Are you the, uh, Elijah? He said, no. So he, he says, I'm one who is come as a forerunner to herald the, the, the message that the Messiah is coming. He says, that's what I'm here for. So he, he, he said directly he was not Elijah, but he came in the spirit of Elijah. In fact, if you looked at John's ministry, there's a lot of similarities. And his, his way, the way he confronts and so forth, you'll see there's a lot of similarities in his ministry and that of Elijah. Now, and it says, the angel answered and said to him, um, no, I'm sorry, I skipped this. Um, and, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now, there's a difference between the way he questions and the way Mary does. Mary is told that, that she's going to bear a child. She, and her question is, well, how's that going to happen? I, I don't know a man. How's that going to happen? And the angel tells her how it's going to happen. Holy Spirit comes. Zechariah's response is a, is a response of doubt and unbelief. His response is, um, hey, we're too old for this to happen. Kind of like, you're a little late. You know, you should have been here sooner. And, uh, and the angel answers and said to him, I am Gabriel. Now, have you ever said something and then right after you said it, you wish you could pull it back? I think this is probably John at this point. He says, he, right out, you know, he says, how's this going to happen? I, you know, it's not, and uh, you know, we're, we're too old for this. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Behold, but behold, you'll be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which, which will be fulfilled in their own time. No, he says, you're not going to speak anymore. Why? Because you speak doubt. You speak unbelief. So it, when I'm gone, I don't think I can, I don't, I'm, I'm probably putting words here into, in, in this, but I don't think I can trust you not to speak more doubt. So this is what's going to happen and, by the way, there'll be benefits, and the scripture does say that, that there's benefits to the fact that he didn't speak. Because 
what happened was when he goes out there and he can't speak and his eyes are, you know, this big and, uh, and people, people are out there praying for him, they come and they realize he must have saw something. What happened, Zechariah? What happened? So he's got to kind of sign language it. He's got to try to tell them, draw, you know, what happened. And now you have all these people in wonder about what's going on and anticipation. It actually brings more attention to the fact that he had this angelic visitation. And so they're going to be watching to see as their child is born. And then it says in verse 24, But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until these days that take place because you did not believe the words which will be fulfilled in their own time. And they were. Now, then the next occasion is Mary now who's, who's got the message and decides she's going to go visit her relative, uh, Elizabeth. And so it says uh, in verse 39, Now Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. This baby is responding and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when she is filled with the Holy Spirit, I have a feeling it leaked into the baby too. Then she spoke out with a loud voice, said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And just a side note to any pregnant ladies or any of you that will be some, someday. That child, sing worship songs. You know, Pray. We would just daily pray and bless our children and speak blessing over them as they, you know, in the womb and, and worship. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I just believe that we, we, we don't have to wait till our children are born to bless them. They can have joy, it says, in the womb. So it says, um, um, Elizabeth says, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So John, you know, goes through life, and then we don't hear much from him until we find in the third chapter of the book of Matthew, he's been living in the desert. And the scripture says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this, for, for this is he who, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Make his path straight. See, it's our responsibility. This is not just a call to John. This is a call to the church. It is our responsibility to make your, his path straight. It was known in those days that, um, you know, roads, and the Romans did a pretty good job in making roads, but they didn't upkeep them much. So if a king was to come, you know, or, you know, an emperor was to come into town or come to a place, before they got there, they would work on the roads. 
they would make them, they'd fix them up, they'd clean them up. So that would be the road that the king came on. It was called the king's highway. And so the king would come down that road, make the pasture, make it easier for the king to get to his destination. What John is saying is that my job is to make it easier for the king to get to his destination. That I'm preparing the way for the king, which is our responsibility. Everyone's responsibility is to prepare the road for the king. That, that what we do, how we live our lives, the, the way we love one another, the way we love the community, the way we t- take care of one another, the way we help people, we help the poor, we help the needy, we help, you know, uh, we help the widow, we help we, we, we do that, we, we help the orphans, all of those kinds of things which we do as a, as, as a church family, but individually, every time we are living out that life, we're making the path straight for the Lord. You know, to, 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 to touch people's lives. In our, in our neighborhood, we had a new family come and move just right across from us. And um, so we introduced ourselves and just got to know them shortly. And, uh, and when the opportunity came, which, you know, early on in our, our talk, we started sharing Jesus with them and started sharing. And found out they, they had, in fact, even though they didn't really talk much about the Lord, they had a church that they attended at times. And uh, so I was out, out and the, the, hus- the husband came over to talk to me, and he said his daughter had, had gotten COVID, and she was pregnant. And she was in the hospital. Of course, no one can see her while she was in the hospital. She was giving birth. And uh, the, they were going to have to, um, the baby was coming uh, sooner than it was supposed to. And it was, they had a preemie. And so um, I, you know, I prayed for her, with, you know, I said, and, uh, and prayed, for, for his, prayed for his daughter, prayed for a grand, grandchild, which became a daughter. The other day, um, I was out, and uh, Carol and I prayed too, and 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 I saw this young young lady walking with this baby. He was walking down the street, and her dad came out, and her dad says, "That's that's my daughter that I told you about." Oh, I didn't mention the fact, but he also mentioned that he was pretty distraught about the father of the child. That, um, that that wasn't a good thing for her at all, for his daughter. And, uh, and he, was, he was concerned he was abusive. So anyhow, we're, there she is, and she's walking. And then he, he, says, he says, that's the one. And I says, you're the one that kept us up at night. I says, you're the one. Me and my wife were praying. We've been praying. We were praying for you and your baby. She's not a believer. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this big smile got on her. And she came over with her baby. And she just looked at me and she said, thank you. Thank you for praying for my baby. Thank you for praying for me. You know what that is? That's laying down some bricks. That's all it is. That's what we do. Isn't that what we do? We lay down the road. So that Jesus can come to them. 
John was extremely good at that. The scripture says, um, you know, he, he, he started baptizing people. It says in verse 4, it says, John himself was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. What a, listen, if, if more people just wore camel's hair you know, robes, it would be easier to shop for you, a lot easier. And, um, and, and, and food was locusts and wild honey, which is the food of, of the poor. And, Drew, and he said, then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, this is an amazing thing that's happening through John. Because Jews didn't get baptized. Water baptism was for the Gentiles. Water baptism was to proselytize. If, if someone, a Gentile, wanted to come into the Jewish faith, there was limitations in the Jewish faith for the Gentiles. But they could come in and the, and the pathway was water baptism. They would be baptized in water as a symbol that they were changing over from whatever heathenism or belief system and they were becoming um, a, a true follower of the living God. Now, Jews would never do that. Jews were privileged people. In their view, they were God's people and they didn't really have to do anything. They had Abraham as their father. I mean, think about this. They're raised from, from the time they're, they're, they're little children. They've been told that they are more special than all the Gentiles. In fact, Gentiles are just kind of around, you know, they're kind of like animals, if you would. You know, they're, 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 they're not those who really kind of have uh, this ability to have God in their life, that God really didn't come for the Gentiles. He only came for the Jews. That's their thinking in all of this. In fact, Jews actually believed that, that there was a guard, there was an angelic guard of hell. And if a Jew got misplaced and ended up at the gates of hell, that the angels would redirect them and bring them to heaven because they got, they got lost. That was their view, that if you're a Jew, you're on your way to heaven because simply you're a Jew. Now, John is saying to all of them, you need to repent. You need to repent. And you need to be baptized. Now, can you imagine the, what, would you know, what would happen when you're hearing that in your whole life? But one thing that he had going for them, for him, was they also knew that the law had been broken. They knew that they were sinners. And if they were humble enough to acknowledge that they were sinners, humility, everybody say humility, humility. If they were humble enough to acknowledge their their, their sin, then he could get them baptized. And he did. He got them baptized in the Jordan. But the scripture says, verse 7 says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, not to be baptized, but to criticize, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist was a pastor. I wonder how many of us would go to his church. Uh, I mean, you brood of vipers, who warned you to come? Bear the fruit worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourself, because this is what they were saying. 
We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. You can't just go by your bloodline. You're not saved by your bloodline. You have to repent. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water to repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, Jesus would come, and Jesus did come and ask John to baptize him. John says, I'm not worthy to do that. Well, I should be baptized of you. And he said, Jesus said, no, just do it to fulfill all righteousness. I have a purpose for this. I have a plan. And so you're going to baptize me. I'm going to show what it is. I'm going to walk fully in the way of the Lord. Now, John's ministry was incredibly fruitful. And there's a text that for years I just read and just kind of passed over. Didn't really think about it until I realized what a significance that it meant to the salvation of so many people. It's found in Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. You might have, you have, most of you have read the book of Luke. You've read this text. But this, this one hit me. Maybe you got it the first time. It took me a little bit. It says in verse 29, when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So when they heard the Lord, they responded. Notice it says, having been baptized with the baptism of John. They, they were baptized. They became re- responsive because they were first baptized. They, John called them to a humility that acknowledged that they needed to repent and turn toward the Lord. And in that humility, that opened the door for them to respond in faith to the Lord himself. Notice it says in the next verse, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, look at, not having been baptized by him. Was baptism, John's baptism, a requirement for them to come to Christ? No, absolutely not. It wasn't a requirement for them to come to Christ first. But what it did do is it opened up the heart of individuals in their willingness to repent for their sin and humble themselves. And a humble person is more likely to be able to respond to the gospel. In fact, God, the scripture says, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Have you not noticed, I've noticed, this it's pretty easy to notice, the scripture even describes it this way, how that many people, most people that come to, to Christ, they come in a time, especially adults that come to Christ, they come in a time of, of challenge in their life, usually a time when things are not going well. Sometimes when they're completely, in, they've come to a place of complete, completely um, giving up on their own self and coming to God and realizing, because prideful people don't respond. John called people to repentance. His strong preaching, the way he in fact communicated effectively, 
he, he was effective in the way he did it because of his boldness. His boldness, his boldness tore down the pride. Either one, one or the other, you were, you were divided into one who walked in humility and, and decided you needed God or a person who walked in pride and it was clear cut. You're, either, you're following God or you're not. That was the preaching of John. I love that preaching. We need more of that preaching. He was boldness. The scripture says in Matthew 14, 1, it says, At the time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report of Jesus. Here's John. This is John today. This, this is John, how he, he, he would respond. Look, look at this and tell me if John would be the kind of preacher that confronts the culture today and confronts the leadership today. Look at what John did. At the time of Herod the Tetrarch, heard the report of Jesus. Now Herod, Herod was, Herod was considered the cruelest man in, in uh, Jewish history. In fact, there was a statement made um, that was going around in, in uh, Jesus' time. People said, you were safer as Herod's pig than, his, than, than to be his son. Because he killed all his sons. I mean, he, he'd kill anybody. Any kind of threat at all, that guy would kill people for. And this is a guy that John now faces because it said, it said, um, Herod found out about Jesus and he said, this is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead. He thought Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead because he felt guilty what he'd done. He had killed John the Baptist. And, and the scripture tells us why. In verse 3 it says, Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Well, what happened was Herod had taken his brother's wife. He had taken his brother's wife to himself. And John the Baptist said, it's not lawful for you to have her. John confronts him. Most preachers today would say, you know, Herod, um, I just want to pray blessing over you. Um, I just want good things to happen. You're, you're a good man, and I know you don't mean to be doing anything wrong. And just in case, we just want to cover you and just want you to know we're on your side. John says, hey, buddy, you're breaking God's law. And do you think John the Baptist knew how cruel Herod was? Absolutely. I think he absolutely knew that he was putting his life on the line to confront that leader for his sin. I've, I've had people say, you know, Pastor, you shouldn't really talk about politics. I, I say, I, it's, I'm, not a, I'm not about politics. I, I am about righteousness in our nation. And so if that, if that kind of gets over into the political realm, that's, that's another issue. If, if we have sin in our nation that is not addressed, who's going to address it? Do you think the political world is going to address it? Do you think the politicians are going to address the sinful behavior? No. Sin has to be dealt with from the pulpits and from the pews, from the people who believe and follow Christ. We're the ones who need to be those who stand for righteousness. We can't just let it go. It's, it's, we start just not... You know, we just hide, we bury the light, 
And all that's going to take over is darkness. We have to do something. We have to stand. And John the Baptist was good at that, even when it cost him. And he called righteous leaders. You know, in this season where we are, there's been a couple times I've addressed some of the issues pretty strongly. And um, even uh, even on, uh, on social media, I've addressed some of the issues. It's very interesting to me that most of the opposition that's come to me has not come from the world. It's come from Christians. Christians that just want to say, let's not stir things up. Or Christians that, that say, well, it's not that bad. In fact, I recently, on a couple of occasions after this happened, that when I was talking about protecting the most innocent, um, I got this. You only care about them before they're born, is what I was told. And you don't speak, but see, so the problem is that you don't do anything for people after they're born. And my response is, if you don't speak up about the murder of unborn babies, then I don't need to answer you about the sacrifices I and fellow pro-lifers have made for postborn babies to you. You have no moral authority if you don't care about the most weak and vulnerable among us. The fact is that, you know, we don't have to pick between one or the other. Can't we do both? We can care for the preborn and we can care for the postborn. We can do both. But to pigeonhole us because we we believe in protecting life before birth as people who don't care about life after birth, I, I think that's a, not only just a faulty argument, I think it's an excuse for not caring about the unborn and to minimize someone who could be filled with the Holy Spirit while they're in their mother's womb. Minimize that a child can rejoice. It has the capacity because they're called by God before they're born. Now, John was humble as can be while being as, as confrontive as he was. And he did something that we should all do. And he made this statement in John 3.30. He says, he, being Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Could you say that out loud if you mean it? Could you say that too? He must increase, but I must decrease. Both have to happen. I have to lift him up. And I got to get out of the way. So he is glorified. He is seen. He's the one we honor. He's the one we worship. He's the one. We look to him and we bless him. John had the humility to say that. And John dealt with some things in his life. He was an amazing man. In fact, Jesus said of him, he, there's no one born of woman. There's only two that weren't, right? Adam and Eve. No one born of woman. Everybody else has been born of woman. No one born of woman up until the time of Jesus that was greater than John the Baptist. He was, he was, he was, a, he was at, at the top. He was at, there was no one above him as far as greatness for the kingdom as John the Baptist. Pretty, pretty lofty place. But I want you to notice 
and this is my closing, I want you to notice where, in fact, when, when in fact, Jesus made that statement. Because prior to it, this is what happened. Chapter 11, verse 2, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. So while he's in prison, waiting possibly to die, Herod has him imprisoned. Hearing about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, said to, him um, to Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? What's going on? Well, John is in prison. Things aren't exactly working out the way he had planned them to be. He has spent his whole life, our whole ministry, lifting up Christ, lifting up Jesus as the Messiah, the one he had been called. See, when he was a little boy growing up, he heard the stories from his mom and dad telling him who he was going to be. You're going to be the one going before the Messiah. You're the one that God's called. You're going to serve, and you're going to bring in and usher in the Messiah. But now he's in prison, and when you're in prison, or when you're bound to your house because of COVID, when you have things not going the way you think they should, when you have challenges in your life, and you don't know where, you know, what, what's quite happening right here, do you ever get doubts? Do you ever get doubts about God's plan? you ever get doubts? Anybody? Some of you? Some of you, and I never doubt. I am solid as a rock. And just wait for the next trial to come your way. You'll see how solid you are. Sure, John had doubts. So he sends these two and says to Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus' answer them was this, to, the, to those two that came. He says, you go back and tell John what you saw. What you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed he who is not offended because of me. Is that enough? And it was. It was for John. And then Jesus said, of all those that have been born of woman, there's none greater than this guy who has a little doubt. this guy he's in prison right now he has some questions but he hasn't thrown it away his doubt has not turned into unbelief he still has belief he still believes he still he just has some questions and I'm willing to answer them I'm willing to let him know what he can know and that's enough you face that I face that. We face those challenges in life. Well, we don't know what God's doing or why he's doing it. And sometimes you just wonder if he's even, you know, paying attention. But then you know he is, don't you? You do and you don't. It's not what you feel, it's what you know according to God's promise in the scriptures. I just pull a hair out because he said he'll number some. He has to start all over again. I actually don't have to pull them out anymore. They come out on their own. Point. God's right there. He's right there for you. You might face your doubt, but John, in the middle of his greatest doubt time, this season, this moment of doubt in John's life, 
it's the exact time that God said, that is one great man right there. That is one great man. And the Lord says that for you too, right? Don't, 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 don't be discouraged by your doubts. Bring them to him. Bring them to Christ. You still got faith. You're still there. You haven't thrown it away. You're okay. And John died with faith. John died, lost his life, but he died believing and trusting. And you and I can too. Well, Father, we thank you because we get to trust you. And um, I thank you, God. Each of us have a call in our life. It's a, that same call, Lord. Help us, help us to clear the, the king's highway to a lost world that is in desperate need. Help us to walk in the humility, Lord, that says, I must decrease. You got to increase, Lord. I want you to shine. I'll just step aside and let you shine. That is our desire, God. That is who we are. We are children of the living God. And we're grateful because our Messiah, our Savior, has in fact died for our sins. And if you're out there in, you know, you're, you're in media land or you're here in our building right now and you have not received Christ as your Savior, if you'll just humble yourself and acknowledge that you need a Savior. You've sinned, you've failed God, you've failed your own self. Everyone has. You need God to help you and forgive you and to cleanse you. And if you acknowledge that, you just simply accept Christ as your Savior. Say, Jesus, be my Savior. Come into my life. I believe you died for my sins. You were buried and you conquered death. And I ask you to help me. I want to follow you from now on. I humbly surrender myself to you and acknowledge my need for you. I thank you, God. Cleanse me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that and meant that, let us know. Go onto our website and, and tell us you received Christ. Ready to close in worship? Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord. Would you stand with us as we close?
Christmas. God bless you, church. We'll see you Wednesday night. Okay, take care.